this evening. I numbered a little bit uh, more scarce tonight, but uh, we appreciate everyone that was able to make it out this evening. And so we're going to continue our study on the book of 1 Peter. And so tonight will be our first part of 1 Peter chapter 3. As Ben had read for us earlier, 1 Peter 3, 1, Peter writes, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. And so he, he mentions likewise. He starts the chapter likewise, and so if he's saying likewise, we'd have to know what happened in the previous chapter, chapter 2. Uh, Peter addressed being subject to the higher authorities in chapter 2. And so why are wives to be subject to their husbands? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so it's God's chain of command. We can see that uh, as Christ is of subjection to the Father, and then, of course, uh, we will see where the church is to subjection to Christ. But it's God, Jesus, man, and woman. And we can, we can see that's what Paul's getting at here. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, when Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And so we can see when Paul compares the, the, the relationship of man and wife to the relationship of Christ and church, it becomes a lot more clear. Uh, Christ... Uh, is the head of the church, which is the bride of Christ, but the husband is to be the, uh, over the wife because she is the bride of the husband. Why did God make it so? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, when Paul's writing to the young preacher Timothy, he says, for Adam was first born. We remember in the garden, you go back in the book of Genesis, and Genesis 2, that God took the dust of the ground and he formed man and he he created Adam, but then he said it was not good that uh, he did not have a help meet, and so he caused that deep sleep to fall on Adam, and then he took a rib from Adam's side, and he made Eve. And so Adam was created first. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, but he goes on to say that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And so we know that the conversation that took place between the woman and the devil, and the woman clearly knew the law of God because she said, she quoted it. But remember, when we were studying the book of Genesis, remember she even said, I was not to touch it. And so if she wouldn't even have touched the fruit, it would have took away the temptation to put it in her mouth and eat thereof. It was a consequence of Eve's sin and the garden that passed on to women. It is a show of respect to her husband. Just as the church is to the reverence of Christ because that is the, uh, he is the husband to the bride, we are, uh, women are to have that respect, that same respect to her husband. This, that is why Peter says her own husband. Uh, she is to show reverence to her own husband. Respect. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he also goes on to say that if any obey not the word. Okay, so he's, he's telling you that if you have a husband that has not became a Christian. 
And so it's if a wife is married to an unbeliever, does she ask for divorce? Well, that was what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And verse 13, And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. And so it's not saying that because the woman obey, obeyed the gospel that her husband's saved. It's talking about a relationship. They're sanctified in what? The law of marriage. The husband is sanctified by marriage from the rest of the world. He's been set apart from the rest of the world. He's no longer that fish in the sea. He's her fish. And so he is his wife's husband. Just as we had read in Peter where he said she is, uh, that she is to be subject to her own husband. God still sanctified that marriage as long as it was under, they were uh, candidates for marriage, that they weren't involved in a relationship before and that they got divorced for an unjust cause other than fornication. And so we can see the importance of the home, the husband and the wife uh, duties in rearing their children together. We can also get this from 1 Corinthians 7, 14. But notice it says, else their children were unclean. Well, if, if God didn't sanctify that marriage, then you have illegitimate children. But they're not illegitimate because they were sanct that marriage was sanctified. And so the children are not unclean. They're holy. They were born under holy bounds. In 1 Peter 3, 1, that they also may without the word be won by the conversations of the wives. And so what is he referring to? He's referring to the husbands that had not obeyed the gospel. And so husbands without the gospel being preached to them at first can be won over to Christianity by the conducts of their wives, starting with that respect towards their husbands. First Corinthians seven sixteen. that's what Paul says. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? And so you, you wouldn't want to leave your husband. If you're putting your, your spouse first and you're a Christian, you want your spouse to also be a Christian. You don't want them to be lost. You want them to be saved. Well, if you separate yourself from that person, it's going to be harder to win them to Christianity. This is another reason why you don't separate. In 1 Peter 3, 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And so the unbelieving husband can see the wife's manner of life. He can behold it. It can be seen. Just as Christians are to walk in such a way that we can be seen that we're different from the world. And then it said, he, he goes on to say in verse 2, coupled with fear. That fear means alarm or fright, uh, be afraid, exceedingly fearful, terror. And so I don't believe that God's saying that women should fear their husbands. Who is our fear to be directed towards? It's going to be directed towards God. 
that's fear of God if she's not in subjection to her husband that we learned about in first verse 1. If her she doesn't have that chase conversation. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, when Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the world in the Lord. It is fit. It means it's proper. That means God expects you to submit to your 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 husbands. It's, it's proper behavior. It's that manner of life that we're seeing. Just as we are to be subjection to the word of God being what? The bride of Christ. And so when you put it in relation to the church, you can kind of see how, it's, how, how it works out. In 1 Peter 3, 3, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning or of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. And so to win the husband over to Christianity, it will not be by the outer appearance as it would have been when you first met. It's going to be that inner person. And so we can see that a, we know that from other writings that a Christian a Christian's woman dressed would be or should be modest. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, when Paul's writing to Timothy. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And so shamefacedness, I don't know what that means. I have to go look these words up. In the Greek, according to Strong's, means bashfulness. And then you see it, it's an example would be towards men. And so you're covering things up. You're bashful. As, as we read it, when you read in Genesis, when they eat the fruit and they realize they're naked, what are they? Ashamed. And so we should wear our clothes because we're ashamed for anyone to see the parts that only should be exposed to our spouses. Sobriety. It means self-control. Wear clothes that cover the parts that should be covered having self-control, knowing, knowing certain clothing suggests sinful things. Remember Tamar? Remember when she changed her appearance? In Genesis 38, verses 13 and 14, and it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her, and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath, for she saw saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given on him to a wife. And we remember the story here. You remember that that um, Judah had promised his daughter-in-law to his other son, Shelah, but he had not fulfilled that promise to Tamar and so she's going to take things in her own hand to have the seed that she was denied by her previous husband's death but she changed her appearance and and so here we would think veil would need very modesty but in that day and time what did she play in Genesis 38 verse 15 when Judah saw her he thought her to be an harlot because she had covered her face. And so something that we think 
uh, as being modest, you cover in your face in some uh, cultures. In this day and time, when she covered her face, it was because uh, she played a harlot. It says she was trying to, to cover who she was so that people didn't know that what she was out doing. But her appearance gave the bias that she was a harlot. And so, and then we know that Judas sleeps with his daughter-in-law as a result. And, um, and so dress is very important. Mm -hmm. But what Peter's dealing with, he says you don't try to win them over with your, your apparel, with your uh, makeup and jewelry. You, you win them over with the, he tells us right here, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so you win them over with that inner beauty. Clothing and gold will decay. The body ages. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, when Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man's perish. I mean, that's going to happen as we age. Now, some in Hollywood have great sums of money, and they can look as youthful as they did. Tom Cruise is probably one of the greatest examples. If you look at him, he looks the same as he did in his 20s. I saw a picture today. I, I don't know what movie it was. It, it was probably Toby McGuire, but the little boy sitting on his lap. Tom Cruise looks the same, but the kid is grown, and he's gray-haired. And so we know those in Hollywood, they have uh, different means and stuff. Uh, it's not what God had intended for our bodies. It's our bodies will age. It's so that we long. A part of that aging process is so that we long for that long home where we'll never age or have pains anymore. That outward, our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. As we grow in the faith and we become more and more uh, mature Christians as God would have us to be, we know that this renews day by day. As Paul said, he buffeted his body daily because you're always working on that inner man to be what? Perfection. You want to be like Christ, but we, we miss the mark sometimes. In 1 Peter 3, 4, he says, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit and so he's telling them what you do. What If you're not going to clothe yourself on the outside, well, what do you do with the inside? What, what do you put on your spirit? What kind of spirit do you have to win your husband's over? And so that, that phrase, even the ornament of a meek, it's mild, hum, uh, being humble. That word quiet there means peaceable. That peaceable spirit. The wife is to put on a mild, peaceable spirit. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4. He finishes that verse with, which is in the sight of God of great price. This is valuable in God's eye. That is, it is fit in the Lord. The things that he's already mentioned, of being subject to their husband's uh, to try to win their unbelieving hus husbands over with that meek and quiet spirit. 
That's what's proper. That's what's good. That's what God envisions the woman to be. That's what he envisions the church to be for Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. And so he just told the women to have that meek and quiet spirit. And then he's saying that the holy women in the, in the Old Testament, that's what they had. That's how they endured their inner person. And how were they able to do this? Because they trusted in God. Knowing God would bless them because of the respect they had to their own husbands. First Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Well, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 through 13, think of this one time that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Did she do it necessarily for self, or did she do it for her husband? And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say this is his wife and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say I pray thee thou art my sister that it may be well with me for thy sake and my soul shall live because of thee. And so he asked her to, to say a half truth. He had asked her to uh, to go along with his plot that, uh, that she was his sister uh, but it was to save his life her love for Abraham caused her to go in with the plot 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 6 he goes on to say calling him Lord calling him Lord was an endearment her respect towards her husband. What do I mean by this? In Genesis 18, verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. Within herself. She didn't say this out loud. Saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. She didn't say that out loud where others could hear it. She said it within herself. That was her love and her endearment for her husband. Her respect towards her husband, Abraham. It's not a Lord-slave relationship. Remember the wife was to be a helpmeet. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. And the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. That helpmeet. Uh, in the Hebrew means aid or help. 
Just as she is to help us, we are to help our wives. Part of that we already have seen is in the rearing of the children. And so she's to be a helper, not a slave. First Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Whose daughters ye are. Okay? And so uh, he's given them an example of Sarah obeying Abraham, her respect, her love for Abraham. And then he's telling them, you are daughters of Sarah. Christians are mostly attributed with being children of Abraham. However, we are also the children of Sarah. Remember what was told her in Genesis 17, verses 15 and 16. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, and I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And so, yes, it's true that Abraham's the father of the faithful. But that seed line was coming through Sarah just as much as it was coming through Abraham. <clears throat> Peter is telling the women to be truly like the daughters of Sarah, Sarah to be subject to their husbands. And then he says, as long as you, need, you do well. Your only children, God's children, you're only daughters of God if you remain faithful to God. And then he says, and are not afraid with any amazement. Don't let your unbelieving husband scare you from remaining a Christian. Just as we discussed in chapter 2 about obeying the laws of the land, you're obedient unless it forces you to do something contrary to the law of God. But Peter didn't just pick on wives. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, as Ben had read earlier for us, Likewise ye husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to thy wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And so if a wife is to treat her husband a certain way, then God expects a husband to treat his wife a certain way. Dwell with them according to knowledge. What does that mean? unbelieving wives you, you, you remain even you husbands if you have an unbelieving wife you're going to dwell with them just as the the, un, the, the wives were to uh, remain with their unbelieving husbands you too are to stay joined to your unbelieving wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 12 but to the rest speak I not the Lord if any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Don't break the laws of marriage, because once you break the laws of marriage, you've sinned against God. That's according to knowledge. That, that is an eternal principle. 
Marriage was established all the way back in the garden. So it went through the patriarchal age. It, it was the same. It went through the Mosaic age, and it has not changed since we are living in the Christian age to the last days. And so that's our knowledge. It's, it's, it's been the same throughout all of scriptures. You know that what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. In verse 7, he says, giving honor unto the wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, when Paul's uh, dealing with that husband-wife relationship, Christ-church uh, relationship, he says, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And so what are we to do? We are to put our lives first. Christ put the church first. It cost him his life, but he put the church first. He made a way for mankind to be saved. We should put our lives ahead of ourselves. Not ahead of God. But we should put our lives ahead of ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. And so that right there tells us what we're, how we're supposed to honor our wives. We're supposed to nourish them, and we're supposed to cherish them. In Exodus 21, verse 10, if he take him another wife, remember when we were talking in the book of Exodus, notice the first wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall not be diminished. It, even though he took another wife, that first wife was to what? To be taken care of. She was to be nourished. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Christian men are to give their wives that love and affection, that cherishment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, it says, Defraud ye not one the other. And so you're not to withhold one from another, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Ah, incontinency. We're going to go with that. I'm getting a, I'm getting a head shake, so I might have, I might have nailed that one. <laughs> Hooked on phonics worked for me. But uh, they're not to withhold. That defraud means they're withholding their body. And so the body has, men have needs, women have needs. And so when you withhold from one, well, then Satan's going to tempt you. There will be a, a, a moment of time if you do it for too long that the, the husband will, will leave the bedroom and go to another woman or the the woman will go leave the bedroom and go to another man. It's not good. I didn't. I don't think I put it in here, um, but oh yes, I did. Verse four: The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And the likewise also the woman hath not power of his own body, but the wife. 
Remember, they have become one flesh. They're no longer twain. Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. Your wants are now her needs. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And then he says, what, he's, what he says about the woman, he says onto the weaker vessel. You know, when we were reading about the books of Exodus, remember the women? How they were going and doing the task as well as the men? And so, there's women that can roll up their sleeves and work right, right next to a man. But, in general, the, the, the women are usually weaker vessels, but it's not just the physicality. He's to assure that she's taken care of physically and emotional, emotionally. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, and so... In many, many passages, we would normally associate this with eternal life, but if it's an unbelieving, you're not going to be heirs together unless they what? They obey the gospel as well. And so a non-believing wife will not inherit eternal life unless she obeys. And so they can't have what God wanted for Adam and Eve, that they can live conjointly in peace, having a sincere love and care for one another. That's, that's that grace of life. When, when, when husbands and wives are not bickering and fighting and there's great peace, then they have that sincere love and care for one another and they have what? Grace of life. We have a, a better way of life on this earth. But notice he says that if you aren't living in that grace of life, if you're not living peacefully with one another, then your prayers are going to be hindered, men. Or likewise, women. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest thy, that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be, re be reconciled to thy brother, and then come in and offer thy gift. We offer spiritual sacrifices now to God. This was actually talking about physical sacrifices. But he says if you have something ought, now it says brother here, but if you have something ought, you need to reconcile that before you bring your offerings before God because he's not going to accept them. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, remember when we were studying chapter 2, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices. When the covenant changed, the sacrifices changed. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, one of those, those spiritual sacrifices. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so we do have the access to prayer. But if we have... Um, a bad relationship with our spouse and then we want to go to God in prayer about it, it's going to be hindered. We are to live peaceably with all men. And what, what greater person should we want to live in peace with than with the spouse that we want to share our whole life with? 
And so if we have an argument with our spouse, we should reconcile with them so that God does not feel, fail to hear our prayers to him. And so uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up with part two. Um, but <coughs> Peter's dealing with the husbands and the wives because really and truthfully, kids absorb everything that they see in the home. And so... Sometimes they don't see the best part of us. But we don't want to ever, our kids, think that's acceptable. And so they should always seek that, that husband that will treat them the way that husbands should. And then uh, as men, they should uh, search for a wife that will honor them just as much. And so we can see God's plan. Just like God lays out the, the word, if, if we're respectful to the word, then we're showing reverence to God, if we're trying to do his will, and so then we will be blessed one day. And so if, if there was anyone here that was not a Christian, it starts by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, John 3.16 Without belief, we will die our sins. John 8.32 That will bring us, once we start learning the Word of God and we're having faith in the Word of God and we know that Jesus has the words of life, that will bring one to repentance. Without repentance, we will all perish. That's what Jesus spoke in Luke 13.3 and 5. Then we must confess him. It's not just before baptism as we see the Ethiopian eunuch, but you must continue to confess and profess him to other men because Jesus said, if you deny me, then I will deny you before my father. And when we read of that church in Sardis, the ones that are being denied are the ones that are not found in the book of life. And so repentance is a very, and confession is very important part of salvation but baptism is also essential 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21 the, the inspired apostle Peter says that it now saves us and so you say what kind of baptism as it is well you go back to the previous verse verse 20 and he says eight souls were saved by water and so water baptism saves us now in this day and time but God expects his bride to be faithful and so when we, we enter into that covenant relationship with God we are marrying ourselves to the law of Christ and we are saying that we are going to be faithful to Christ just as we are to be faithful to our spouses and so God expects it but you will be rewarded for it I believe if you if you you um, submit to your husbands and if you honor your wives you'll be rewarded for it in this life but as as Peter has shown it's or um, Paul has shown it's fit in the Lord it's proper it's proper and so if you have not lived that faithful life uh, if you need prayers on behalf of the church, perhaps you're living a lifestyle outside these four laws.
that have brought reproach on the church, then you can ask for forgiveness at this time. If it's a, a personal matter, then you can go to God because you're in that covenant relationship. You have been baptized in his blood, and so you have uh, you got access to prayer. Those outside of Christ do not have that spiritual blessing. And so if we can help you in either way, we ask that you come to the front as together we sing the same song of encouragement.